anything's possible. It's one step at a time. It's commitment. It's taking care of business, taking action, and letting go of outcome. When we focus on that, when we focus on what we're committed to, that multiplies. When we focus on the problems we have, they multiply. It's all an inside job. Hi, everyone. You've tuned in to the Active Towns podcast, conversations about creating a culture of activity in our communities. I'm John Simmerman, founder of the Active Towns Initiative and your humble host during this journey. And it's always so wonderful to have you along for the ride. Today is Wednesday, July 15th, 2020. In this episode, I'm super stoked to share with you a conversation I recently recorded with Suzanne Menji from Boulder, Colorado. As you'll soon learn, Suzanne has leveraged her life experiences and personal deep reflections to create a successful business, helping people live their gold medal lives. I wanted to get her episode out right away because she has a free webinar that many of you might be interested in participating in coming up quite soon. And just to give you a quick glimpse into upcoming episodes in the queue, I'll be posting conversations with Kyle Wagenschutz and Sarah Studdard with the local innovations division of People for Bikes, Todd Littman with the Victoria Transport Policy Institute, Mike Christensen with the Utah Rail Passengers Association out of Salt Lake City, Utah, and Charles Brown with Rutgers University. All of these coming up quite soon. Before we get started, just a quick word to let you know that this episode is being brought to you by the generous contributions of our Patreon supporters and donors. We'll talk more at the break about how you can also help support our efforts to create safer, more inviting, all ages and abilities environments, which help to promote a culture of activity. Okay, enough with all this preamble. Let's dive right into the action with Suzanne Menji. I am absolutely delighted to have a very good friend of mine online with me today, Suzanne Minji. How are you, Suzanne? John, I'm really well, and I'm really excited to be here with you. It's such a privilege to join you on the show today. I'm so glad we were able to make this happen. I know you're super, super busy. And so we go way back, I mean, to the early 1990s. Why don't you tell the story as to how we first met? (laughs) It's so fun. I was fresh out of college and I was looking for my first internship in the fitness industry and I had no idea what that meant. And so I don't remember the details, but somehow I got hired by Pacific Bell and I moved my little self down to Southern California and started a six month internship and you were my boss. But the more important part of that story for me, is that, yeah, that was work and that was that thing. But I felt like you and your wife adopted me into your family. And it really was that great family feel of next step out of college into the bigger world. And and then we've been friends ever since through ups and downs and all arounds. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll unpack a, a little bit there. So let's talk a little bit about that trip you made from upstate to downstate. So where did you go to school? Mm, so I started school at Santa Barbara. I finished, I transferred to UC Davis. 
to finish my degree in exercise physiology. And coming out of Davis in May of 1993, I found my internship. And so we have very similar science-based background. I'm also a degreed exercise physiologist. I sort of blended in psychology and, and public health at my master's level, but at the undergraduate level at USC, it was hardcore sciences. So you had a lot of that same background. And that's what we did at Pacific Bell. In the FitWorks program, we would hire degreed exercise physiologists, both both at the undergraduate level and the graduate level, to help us with that particular health promotion and wellness program. And so uh, that was such a wonderful thing. And you're absolutely right. You were you became part of that little tribe that uh, that we had down there uh, for FitWorks. And you mentioned Pam, uh, my, my first wife. Uh, she was the cross-country coach and track coach at Brea Linda High School. And I'm not sure she's still the coach there, but she's still there at Brea Linda. And that was so cool. So we have that connection. And our paths then crossed once again. When I moved from Chicago to Boulder, and then lo and behold, somehow you ended up in Boulder too. <laughs> right? So after my six-month internship with Pacific Bell, I moved back to the Bay Area and got married and worked in a combination of the commercial fitness industry and the corporate fitness industry for the next five years or so. And I really zipped through it really fast from personal training to general manager and everything in between. And then I got to this place where I felt like as an industry overall, we weren't really serving our population. Like we were doing some good work and we were all on a mission to get people healthier. But I felt like people who were into fitness were into fitness and the populations that were really struggling, we were missing. And I left my corporate job in tears and I said, I will figure out what the actual answer is, but this isn't, this isn't it for me right now. And then shortly after that, we moved out to Boulder. When you talk about making that move from the, the Bay Area to Boulder, talk a little bit about what that was like, because Boulder is, well, Boulder's the quintessential active town. I mean, that's where the active town as a nonprofit is incorporated. The majority of my uh, board of directors are located there in town. So talk a little bit about that experience of of helicoptering in and dropping into Boulder and and. What was profound about that? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll take a one step back because I told you my professional journey in those bunch of years, but my, my athletic journey was in high school, I learned what Ironman triathlon was. I learned what a triathlon was. I didn't, my best friend's dad had his bike in the living room. And I was like, why do you have your bike in the living room? Like that was so foreign to me. And it was a Dave Scott Ironman bike. And I started quizzing him and I said, what is this? And he explained the Hawaiian Ironman. And in my soul, I said, I will do that. My background was swimming. I didn't own a bike. I didn't even consider that you could ride a bike more than to the donut shop. And I certainly didn't run at that stage of my life. But in the depths of me, I said, I will do that one day. So do you know what year that was? That was 1989. 89. Okay. Yeah. 
So over those next years, while I explained my professional journey already to you and you were a part of that, my my athletic journey was breaking down Ironman into manageable steps and testing if I could do it. It started in college with Wildflower was my first race and I ended up with a podium finish and I was like, whoa, I'm hooked on this triathlon thing. And and then it just kept going from there. And I, I was a swimmer, but I had never swam in open water. So that was one of my hurdles. And I was then riding a bike, but I'd never ridden 120. So I started to put, I rode a, um, I started to break down the Ironman over these years into, I need to run a marathon before I do an Ironman. I need to ride 112 miles before I do an Ironman. And I did that over the next bunch of years until in 1997, I decided I was ready. There was again, that internal, I'm ready to fully commit. And $300 was a big deal to me to pay for a race at that time. And I remember very clearly filling out this application for Ironman a year ahead of time, writing the $300 check and dropping it um, like registered mail to get it to Ironman. And then I got the you were accepted in and then it was game on full on for the next year. Right. And that was Ironman Canada, right? up in That was Ironman Canada. Yes, that was Ironman Canada. So the athletic journey was always this testing what I'm capable of. And that's, that's what's in my DNA. And in that athletic journey, there was only one person I really knew that had done Ironman before me, and it was you. Just the and year before, yeah. Just the year before. Yeah. And I went off to Canada, well-trained, but a couple months before that race, you, John, said to me, Suzanne, you have to do your own race. There's big hills and there's a lot of heat. And swimming, again, swimming comes easily to me. And I had learned that swimming an hour, you know, swimming a couple miles wasn't a big deal. But I'd never put it all together. And my goal in my first Ironman was to finish, to walk away, and to qualify for Hawaii. That's it. That's all I cared about. And not need the med tent that too. And so from your words, where you said, race your own race, and sit up on the hills, I did. And I came out of the swim in the top 100, out of the 1500 people that I'd started with. On the bike, I got passed by 450 people. My mind at that point was so strong that I didn't care. I knew the mission I was on. I knew I had to race my own race. I knew the temperature gauge was expected to go over 100, if not several data points over 100. And I knew I'd never run a marathon at the end of the day. Even though I'd done lots of training runs starting midday on, in the summer, I'd never run a marathon after this amount, of, this amount of work. So I got passed by a bazillion people. And then I started out on the run. And again, I raced my own race and I got stronger every mile. And my promise to myself in that was that I had to drink at every aid station and that I was allowed to walk through every aid station if that's what I wanted. And I did walk through a bunch of them because, again, your legs feel kind of funny middle of middle mid afternoon. Right. And and I got stronger 
through each mile. And what happened in that first Ironman was I ended up 15th woman and um, 15th woman on the run and fourth woman in my age group. And I qualified for Hawaii. And it was one of those, you know, wildflower was one of the races of my life. Canadian Ironman was one of the races of my life. The problem is, and we have this funny photo. I'll try to find it for you. Actually, we, we have the photo where my friends already know I've qualified. They bring me over to look at the results. My friend Dick says, who's one of my great supporters, says something to me. I look and I see it and I grab his shoulders like I'm going to kill him and be like, oh my God, I can't believe I have to do this again in five weeks. And all my dreams have come true at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's and that's, and that's yeah, that's back in the day when literally... If you qualified at that particular race, you're right. It was a quick turnaround. And then you had to be ready for Kona and make that happen in, in early October. So let's talk about Ironman, but not about triathlon and not about Ironman. Let's talk about it in terms of the life lessons that that helped teach you. What what really came away from that experience and 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 other races that you did, but that whole concept of what did Ironman teach you? I'm going to give you the one sentence and I'm going to give you the long version. And the one sentence, John, is Ironman taught me I could do anything. And what that meant for me with Ironman was I had that internal, nothing logical about it. It was this deep sense of I will do that. I didn't really know people doing that. I didn't really have you know, people to go on. But I had this, this is what I need to do in my life. And for whatever combination of reasons, I didn't question it. I explained to you how I broke down Ironman. I actually have my whole um, photo album from that because I really wrote my story through those years of Ironman because I, I, I didn't mention that the next year I qualified. My whole goal was to go to Hawaii. It was never to win Hawaii. It was to go to Hawaii once. The next year I qualified again, I didn't want to take the spot, but I had so many friends wanting to go to Hawaii that I took it. And you know what I can say? Iron Man's just a freaking long day when you don't really want to be doing it. I can do it. It's a long, but it's a lot of work, but it's not nearly as fun if you're doing it because you don't want to feel bad for getting a spot that someone else wanted. So for me, you know, those were the glory years. I got, I was really clear. And then I had a bunch of years where marriage and family and it didn't have that kind of a mission. And that, those years ended in some really hard life lessons. 2009 to 2012, we had a lot of death in our family. We had I started questioning everything. I really started questioning human life overall. And like, what are we here for? And what's my point now? Like, I had this powerful mission. I knew at the end of Ironman, that wasn't my life mission. The only other thing I had that sinking, like I have to do this feeling is freshman year in college, I learned about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And at the top of the hierarchy of needs is self-actualization. And that was really the only other thing I wanted in my life, but there was no training plan for that. So I went on with my life and I 
we had a family and all of these things that I did, but I started to get that starvation inside that I couldn't fill in any way. And I started to go down a spiritual path where I questioned everything. And then it all ended up in some really hard spaces, which was a combination of being raped by a man in my spiritual community and divorced by my husband. Left me flat out ground zero of a single mom, two children, lost, no idea where to turn. And for me, it was the great gift. It was some really, really hard years, but it was the great gift because it brought me completely back to my knees, brought me completely back to saying, what is my point on this planet? And what, how am I going to serve? I hadn't worked since the day I left the fitness industry in the 90s. I hadn't worked outside the home. I had gotten to coach and give my time away all of the ways I got to help other people, but I hadn't earned an income that supported my family in a whole lot of years. And I had never done it on my own. So my lessons from Ironman all came back because I knew I wanted to be fully me in this world. I had no idea how to do that, but I had to start breaking it down into training plans. So if I, again, if I can find a picture of one of these, I'll send it to you, but yeah, no, that'd be great. So, and one of the things that, that path that you took, one of the manifestations of that was an entrepreneurial venture that you did clear fitness. So talk a little bit about that. And then, then we'll sort of fast forward of, of when you brought that sort of to a close and then the new iteration, the new genesis of the new corporation. Great. So out of ground zero, what the, the, what I knew was personal training and health coaching. And so that's what I brought. And that was clear fitness. I always knew the physical wasn't my thing, but the physical is really comfortable for me. I'm really good at working with people. I'm really good at seeing what's going on in their body. I'm really good at seeing what's going on in their mind and blocking, you know, and that's holding them back in their body. And so I was trying through the fitness industry to do that and, and then health coaching. And then I brought in spiritual counseling. I did a whole bunch of, I call it life school. I did a whole bunch of education on energy work and all the different ways that we heal and all the different ways we come fully into ourselves and into our being so that our doing comes out from a really, really beautiful inspired space. And three years ago, Clear Fitness wasn't working financially. It wasn't coming together. Also, I wasn't super inspired by it. So I went into the corporate world for three years, did the training I needed to do. I call that my life internship, did the training I needed to do there before then taking my big leap back into the work I'm meant to do. And what I do now is personal and business coaching, high performance coaching, and I help people see where they are and where they really want to be. And we work with mindset, habits, and specific ways of getting past where they've been and getting to where they want to be. And it's just brings everything I've done in my entire life together. So I mentioned earlier about, you know, 
landing into Boulder and it being like the quintessential active town. And since I know you really well and I follow you very, very closely on social media, I know that that city, that town, that environment, the trails and the, the, the access to water and all of these things are like your canvas. If you were a painter, this is your canvas. Talk a little bit about the fact that that community helps you personally remain grounded and fit and healthy, but it also helps you as a coach of other people. Uh Brilliant. I love the uh, metaphor of the canvas because it's exactly right. Getting people out, getting people out so they can see the metaphors of their life has been a huge part of my journey. For me, moving to Boulder is where I started to grow up. And it's been 22 years that we came. We just took the leap of faith, packed a car and left left the Bay Area saying we want to try something different. And 22 years later, we'll be I'll be here for a while. And I don't see going anywhere. But it allowed me to see a way of living where you can love your life, where you can love all of your life. And it allowed me to see what I want, how I want to live my life in great service and how I don't want to live my life, which is kind of frittering away my time, I would say. And it also allowed me to start to understand what self-care is. I really didn't know that. I really knew, I really knew go hard, go harder, go faster. I didn't know rest was my secret weapon. Took me a long time Taper before Ironman, not my best time. What I can tell you in hindsight is it was because my mind was so busy. My mind was trying to figure everything out. And when I didn't have a whole bunch of training to focus on, it was like I lost my focus. And then when I didn't have another mission after Ironman, I lost my focus for a bunch of years. And it took me some time to get that back. But being in Boulder is the great, it's the great equalizer because there's always someone fitter, faster, and there's always more learning for me to do. It's this great, I call it the lab. You know, I, I tell all my clients, you're the lab rat and you're the scientist. You're learning what works for you. The recipe for your life is different than the recipe for my life. Yeah. So when you look at this career path that you've now landed upon, and I don't even want to call it landed upon. I mean, this has been an evolution for you. What brings you the most joy in doing this this type of work? Mm. Watching people have that moment where they just wake up and see things completely differently. It is so much fun to see light bulbs go on. In anyone, whether I'm talking to a client or someone on the trail or someone at the gym or wherever it is, and when I ask a real question and they give a real answer, it's totally, it can change their entire life. I was at a, at a neighborhood gathering the other night and this woman said, you ask really hard questions. I said, yeah, I do. I do because I'm in it. For you to see your own psychological well-being. And when we're carrying these psychological weights of my life, I don't have what I need in my life. 
we don't realize that we're all fueled by this deep, deep love, by life. We're truly fueled by life. When we think it's all of our, our mind that has to figure everything out, then we carry a lot of weight physically, mentally, psychologically. But when we realize we have all the wisdom inside that we need, anything's possible for anyone. Healing, physical healing, emotional healing, all of it. And then you just go, huh, how do I want to fly? What cliff do I want to jump off today? Because I know I, I'll, my, the wings will come. Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, you know, ha having a conversation when you were at a gathering with somebody and she says you, you ask hard questions. Do you have trouble turning this off sometimes? Like where it's like, no, I don't need to be the coach. I don't need to psychoanalyze people. I just need to like be. How do you how do you go about that so you're not that person? And, and I'm one of those people. I mean, I, I turned everything into, oh, this has a connection to active towns and active living. Right. You know, it's a really fine line. And it's been an evolution for me because I really had... I would turn it off completely and then I would turn it on completely. And it's, I don't ask ever, I ask permission. I ask permission. Are you open to being coached? And if they're not, that's fine. But I don't let people hang out in their circular, useless chatter any longer. And that's, that's what's been the evolution for me is I don't care if they become a client, what I care about and what my mission is on this planet is that they have the opportunity to see they don't have to live in their own hell. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a, a good uh, success story that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, I have a couple of them, but I'm going to choose um, a woman that I'm working with and she, we've just been together almost two months and I do longer term. I do either one month package or a six month package. I call it 30 days to thrive or six months to fulfillment. And what I learned from doing one-offs in the past was that people would get that moment and then, and then it was gone because it's, it's a learning to really step into our brilliance and stay there rather than get caught back in the circus of our minds. So I'm working with this woman and I'll call her Jody, and, um, cause that's not her name. And she's 65 years old. She needs to be making money, but she wants to be retired and she wants to be serving the world. She loves volunteering and we met and then she started to get really curious about coaching and she's like, well, what do you do? And how do you do it? And how much do you love it? And she could tell how much I love what I do. And she's like, well, I've always thought I would be a coach. And I said, well, well, well why aren't you? And she's like, because it, you know, blah, 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 blah. She had all kinds of reasons why she wasn't. And she also was caught in between the, I want to be retired, but I, I also want to be making money. I want my retirement to be more comfortable than it is right now. And I want to be serving. So she had these pieces that she had separated out. And we had a couple conversations and then she decided to jump in for six months of coaching and jump two months in. She's very clear on her coaching. She's very clear who she is as a coach. She's very clear how many clients she wants 
and the prices she charges. And she's having a blast being retired and serving the world. She's not just, she's not volunteering. She's not giving her time away anymore. She's stepping into her power. And the way we've gotten there is this gentle process of directly asking if the beliefs she'd been believing about herself were true. You know, I'm too old to start my own business or I don't know enough. You know, I've, she's, she, her background is executive director of a couple of, a couple of nonprofits, therapists. You know, she's got all these pieces. It's not coming out of nowhere. But she's completely fallen in love with her work to where her work doesn't feel like work. And then she's finding that her need for a man in her life, which she'd also like, is actually less compelling. A man is fine. You know, it's fun to have a partner. But when you're really standing in your own power, it doesn't matter. It's okay either way. And, and she also has some weight. She has some um, desire to lose some weight and she has a desire to be more fit. And she was, she's, she got the connection a few weeks into our work that feeling strong and powerful in your body is super important to then feel strong and powerful in your life. There's a very clear connection. You and I both know that. Yeah. And so she's finding her way with seeing that as she's loving her life and loving that she's, she knows her life purpose is be love. That's her whole mission is be love. And as she's finding that where it's a regenerative process where she's giving, but she's also receiving that her body is dropping weight, that her mind has dropped a whole bunch of weight. So she's actually moving forward and having more fun with all of it rather than exercise being another should on her back another rock in her backpack, I like to say, you know, when we have all these shoulds weighing us down, then we start to fall over. But when we actually say, Oh, I really want this body, this vehicle to work really well, because I want to be able to live fully, full out, nonstop. It's totally different. It's a totally different mindset and a totally different view. So she's shifting her habits. She's shifting her mindset. And she's falling in love with her life. Yeah. So you've used the word coach a, a few times. Uh, let's define that. What, what do you mean by coach? Mm. So I mean, I help people get from where they are to where they want to be. And a coach can look like lots of things. Coaching started in athletics and performance arts. And it's someone who's willing to come up alongside you and basically hold your hand so that you create the life you really want. A lot of us, a lot of people are living their default life. They're doing what they know. They've gotten to a certain stage of success, but there's this deep hunger for more and they're not totally sure what that looks like. And I help them first define that because you have to have a power, you have to get clear on your powerful mission. Like I said, this woman, Jody, that I spoke to, her mission is be love. So then we unpack what the how, the what that looks like in the world. I like to say I help people find their impossible and then go for it. Like, what's that dream that I haven't been willing to do? And now let's break it into a project and make it happen. Right. It's like taking the, the concept of, of having a mentor, being a mentor, but it, this is, is not your standard non-transactional mentor relationship. It, it, this is 
this is my career. This is what I'm doing. You hire me as a coach. And as you mentioned, you don't do one-offs. You, these are long-term commitments and relationships uh, that, you, that you establish with these individuals. Is that correct? It is. Yeah. I always have a few conversations at the beginning too. So it's not like you jump in or you're out. It's, I want to get to know people because I have to be really clear if they're ready for coaching. A lot of people aren't ready to be coached. They're not comfortable in their life, but they're not uncomfortable enough to go, yeah, I'm all in. I'm ready to make a major leap. I'm ready to shift whatever's been holding me back and let that go so I can really step up into my brilliance. Right. What's the biggest challenge in doing this sort of work? Staying out of my own way. Staying super clear that I never have all the answers for somebody because what I'm always doing is pointing someone back to their own wisdom. I bring all my own wisdom. I bring all my life experience and it all has funneled into this work. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the client's wisdom that I'm bringing them back to because I'm not, this isn't a, we'll fix your health and then you'll, you know, come back and fix People might work with me for a long time and that's an ongoing relationship. And that's great because people want more. People are ready once they see how exciting it is to live a life of fullness and fulfillment. Then it's like, oh, what else can I do? But I don't have the answers. I've got lots of tools to put on your tool belt. You got to be willing to step onto the starting line and start your life full out. Suzanne shares with us a renewed, big athletic dream she's recently embraced. She provides some details about her upcoming webinar and talks about how she helps people hone in on their passions. But first, let me pause to dive a little deeper into the ways that you can help support the Active Towns Initiative and this podcast. As a donor-supported 501c3 nonprofit, It's your contributions that pay the bills and help keep this content rolling along. We're running an Active Towns t-shirt fundraising campaign right now, so don't miss out on this opportunity to get our limited edition Culture of Activity shirts. We have them in men's short sleeve, women's specific short sleeve, and also long sleeve, and they all feature high-performance moisture-wicking fabrics. Also, if making a monthly contribution is a better fit, be sure to check out our Patreon page or consider making a simple one-time donation via our website or on our Facebook page. All of these links will be provided in our show notes or just click on the donate button at activetowns.org. Again, that's activetowns and that's plural, .org. Okay, that's all for this break. Let's get back to our conversation with Suzanne Menji. So I know you mentioned that you're training again. What did you mean by that? <laughs> Great question, John. I, um, I am going for the Olympics. I had in 2006, seven, eight, after Ironman, prior to life doing major changes, I had had a short three years of going for the Olympics in triathlon. And when we were in Sydney in 2000, I, I saw the 
Olympic triathlon. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is my next mission. And I went for it in six, seven, 2006, seven and eight. And it was my body that stopped me. And I've wondered ever since then in my journey, if that would come back, if and when. And this year, not very long ago, it got very, very clear inside of me. It's that same feeling as when I was like, I have to do Ironman. It's from 1989. It's that same feeling of it's my time. And it's a very different relationship to it. What happened before when I went for the Olympics was it was a very inspired idea because my reasoning has always been to share my journey and help other people see that they can live their gold medal life. But the last round, I took in all the, everyone else's information. I took in everyone else's doubts. I took in everyone else's suggestions. I had a marketing team. We had this whole thing. I also had two small children at home. And the combination was so much that that, that round ended with strep bronchitis, two ear infections, and coughing up blood. And the doctor was like, you got to go home. So that was the beginning, another round of beginning of me really checking in with how am I running my life? Because that's, you know, you can hear it. That's the, that's the culmination of go, go harder, go faster. When in doubt, go faster. And these last bunch of years, 12 years have been learning that rest is my secret weapon, period, in every area of my life. And I did, I had an Epstein-Barr virus diagnosis in 2016. And so I cleared all the virus out of my system and my body has never been this healthy. So I, I've committed and I'm in and I'm training. And as I said to you, I was actually in a pool swimming laps. I've been paddle boarding and swimming in, in bigger bodies of water, but I was actually in the pool swimming laps this morning. It felt so deliciously wonderful. And a half an hour that I could schedule during COVID time. Thank God for that's all it was because that was all I needed. And, and this time it's about, can I give a hundred percent credit to the love that runs through me for everything I do in this phase? Can I show up completely as me, which is what I did in Ironman, but then my head has gotten caught. You know, there's been other times when my head gets caught in things and tries to make it certain ways. Can I really surrender to life to lead me through this? And can I show people in my writing, in my speaking, in my sharing, and in my own actions that this is possible no matter what you want to go for? I'm well aware that I'm 49 years old and everyone else on the starting line when I was 35 was much younger than I. And I'm well aware that there's a few spots for the Olympic triathlon. And what I know is I've always gotten what I wanted when I've been really clear. And I also know the journey is equally as important as any outcome might be. Right. So who coaches the coach? Mm, I have a coach. Absolutely. I have a coach named Mark that is quite, he pushes me hard and he pushes me hard to be me rather than push. I can push myself really hard physically. I have a health coach and I have a high performance coach and they both, the biggest push that they each give me in their own way. One's Judy is, you know, one's female, one's male. So I have this great balance and the push is really to relax into me and to really listen 
which is what I teach everyone, but it's, you know, but you got to have your own team, right? You got to have your own high performance team when you're going for it. And to really give myself complete permission to be me in all ways. You and I are connecting through the magic of the interwebs and you're about to do a webinar coming up. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that webinar? Yeah, my um, beloved mentor and friend Dick and Bettinger and I are going to do a webinar called Weight Loss Simplified. And we're going to have a conversation because he was the first person actually 17 years ago who taught me that there was no problem. My, I can get caught in my personal thinking and that can blind me to the brilliance that's happening. But if I actually drop back into my wisdom, my psychological well-being is always there. So we get really caught as humans in managing our human problems, what we think are problems. But when we actually drop out of that, we get really creative solutions to everything. And that includes weight loss because weight loss is so often about starvation in other ways. You know, it's, 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 it's not about the food and it's not often about, often it's not about body problems, but our bodies, these vehicles that we, we are so blessed with, we kind of beat them up over the years. And I've done my fair share. I've done my fair share. My body has never carried a ton of extra weight, but it has worked so hard that I explained, you know, where I had to take myself in the past. So Dickon and I are going to have this conversation about losing weight from our mind so that the rest of our life can thrive. And that's what I wish on every single person in the world is that we see how it's the mental psychological weight loss that allows all boats to rise, that allows love to rise into our lives and go, hmm, and then we get curious about those intuitive hits. We start to lead our life from a totally different place. So that webinar is Wednesday, July 29th, 11 to 12 p.m. Pacific time. And it will be Dickon and I having a conversation and taking questions. And there's been a whole bunch of interest already. So I'm super excited. It's free and it will be on Zoom, it'll be live streamed on Facebook. We'll put the details in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. We sure will. Who would you say your your target market is for the, for this conversation? Anyone that's suffering, anyone that's holding themselves back, anyone that sees that their mind, sometimes they get caught in the spin of their mind and they're tired of it and they're really ready to thrive in their life. It sounds like that's the same market for your coaching business. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. One of the ways I explain what I do sometimes is just say, I help people suffer less. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great way. I mean, human, human, the human case is, it seems as if it's, it, it is defined by suffering and so suffering less. And you've said it multiple times so often it's, it's going on up here. Yeah. We're creating our own suffering innocently, so innocently. And we do it until that moment when someone goes, well, what if you looked from a different perspective? It's, we get so caught in the cage of our psychological circus, if you will, that we miss that there's all these other options. So what I'm always showing people is that, you know, I happen to be going for the Olympics because that's me. There might be no one else 
here listening that will ever even have that desire, let alone think anything, but she's crazy. But once we remember what our gold medal is, what matters most to you? What gets me up? What fuels my fire? For me, it's relieving suffering. And from an Olympic stage and from an Olympic dream, I can help more people. I can help you, whoever the you is, see anything's possible. It's one step at a time. It's commitment. It's taking care of business, taking action, and letting go of outcome. When we focus on that, when we focus on what we're committed to, that multiplies. When we focus on the problems we have, they multiply. It's all an inside job. It's, that's kind of the, the paradox, right? It's an inside job, but at the same time, we need to get out of being too inside our own heads to the point where we can't see clearly. It sounds like uh, when you say what matters most you know, for an individual, I'm always reminded of that classic book, What Color Is Your Parachute, where you know, the author is trying to help somebody hone in on what they're passionate about. It sounds like for, for you to really be an effective coach for somebody, you got to do a little bit of figuring out what color is that person's parachute? Or what are they passionate about so that they know what matters most? How do you do that? Mm. Ask hard questions. So often we get into this loop of I'm this age, I'm this whatever. I'll go back to the woman that I was speaking to the other night in the neighborhood. She was pissed off at her body not working as well as it used to. And I said, you know, are you willing to be coached after a little bit of conversation? And she said, yeah. And I said, what are you focused on? And she got really reflective and getting really reflective is a very different state of mind than knowing that my body sucks, being pissed off at my body. It's two totally different ways to run your life. So when you start asking interesting questions, then she goes, oh, yeah, I get pissed off. And of course, my body doesn't work. She started to see that she doesn't have a what came out of being pissed off at her body was that she's pissed off. She doesn't have a powerful mission in her life right this second. She's kind of floating around in her life. You know, she's going where the wind blows. She's done all the things she should do. But now what does she want to do? So we go there and we get really clear on, I told you about the other client, Jody, who she wants to be love. Be, be love is very vague. But from be love came the coalescence of, I've always wanted to coach. I just don't know how. After our first conversation that night, she texted me that she had her first paying client because she had been given permission to step into what she actually wanted. We have another client that I've been working with. He's amazing. He's been angry and angry and angry, so caught in his thinking, so frustrated that he can't get out of his own way, doesn't even know he can get out of his own way. And he keeps seeing, whoa, it's all stuff he's made up. He's created a story. He had a, something in the past that happened where he created the story that that pissed him off and he's been living this life of anger and creating more anger in his life. And then he went, you know what I really want to be doing? I want to be creative in my life. Exactly what that looks like, he doesn't know. 
But that's where you got to be really, really curious. That's what a coach is, is really, really curious. I see everyone's brilliance. I see no matter what you've been through, nobody's story can scare me. I see whatever is going on and I see the brilliance. And I focus on that to then go, okay, if, if you knew what you wanted to do, what would it be? If you had the answer for the action you need to take in that direction, what would it be? Because usually we know a lot of that stuff. We're just not willing to say it out loud because we're too afraid to want what we want. If you knew what to do in this current relationship, what would be your answer? I'm talking to that deep place. I'm never talking to the head. And we get caught in the chatter and you can see it clearly. <laughs> you can see it every time. Right. 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 We all know that settled in place where it feels really good. And when then we know the spinning mind place. So we're always coming back to that settled in place and then dealing with the mind stuff that comes up. Yeah. And humans are creatures of habit and behaviors and patterns that take place. Uh, can you share the story of the gentleman that you had out on the paddleboard and that, that sort of cycle of pattern that he immediately went into and I'll let you take it from there, but it was interesting how you you sort of honed in on what was happening and then pivoted a little bit. And I thought that was really interesting. Cool. Absolutely. So I've been gifting all my clients a, a um, coaching session on paddle boards, and I love getting people outdoors. Absolutely love it because people relax a little bit more and you start to see what's actually going on and they can see what's actually going on. So this was our first time meeting because all our coaching thus far had been on Zoom. And we met and I could, t I could feel his speed like that kind of, what do I do speed? You know, how can I help? This is a new person slash how can I help slash all these different things. And I could feel his speed and he was, he was mirroring everything I did. I got the paddleboard out of the bag and he did the same thing and he put the paddle together and he got the life jacket out and he got the pump out and he was, he was really talking fast as well. And so I just put my hands on my hips and started listening. And I just stood there and watched him. And then I asked him if he noticed I had slowed everything way down. And he really paused and then we started talking. Then it gets really real. Because when we're in our heads, we're in our heads. But once we see we're in our heads and we have the possibility of dropping out of that, then things get real. Then we go, oh, what I really want is to be able to be myself in the world and relax a little once in a while at least. And you can relax all the time and be going really fast. So we had, you know, five, 10 minute coaching session. And then I had an idea pop up into my brain and I was like, okay, it's time. So I said, excuse me, I'm going to run to my car. And I went and got the picnic blanket, threw the picnic blanket under the tree. And I invited him to sit on the picnic blanket while I blew up the paddle boards. He said, do I have to sit? And I said, no. And then he sat down. He said, you know, everyone's thinking I'm an ass for watching you do all the work. I was like, yep. Yeah. He's like, you're loving this, aren't you? I said, I am. And as I blew up these paddle boards that do take some work, we were talking a little bit, but mostly he was dropping into his self. He had been given permission to sit still and he took it and he did it. No matter what was going on in his mind, even though the chatter was coming up and he was like, you know, I questioned him. I said, you don't know what 
anything, anything that's going on in anyone else's mind. You can't. When you're living your life trying to please and justify and defend your life to everyone else, you're not living your life. And as I did the paddle boards, as I blew them up, he just sank in. And when I had the first one complete, I invited him to put the fin on, which he did. And then I invited him to go out on the water and paddle around and I would meet him out there. And he did. And he would really dropped back into that curious, open, wise man that he is. And once I finished my board, I went and found him. And he was a totally different guy. He was just settled in. He was curious. He was enjoying the storm that was coming in. He was enjoying having his feet in the water. He wasn't on a mission to paddle across the universe yesterday, which is what we all do from our mind. We all think we're in a major rush to get somewhere. We're not. We're desperate to get here. From here, we move with grace. From here, we listen to, hmm, I need to go left. Hmm, this relationship doesn't make sense to me. Hmm, I have this career change I really want to jump into, and I'm scared, so I'm going to ask for help. Talk a little bit about how that connection of physical activity and nature layers on to being able to to help us facilitate, especially if we can turn off the mind and turn off the distractions, how that really helps from from what you're trying to do, but also can be something to that helps people in their day-to-day life. Yeah. So when we go out in nature, we so often are out to play. And so it's not so serious because if he failed at paddleboarding, it's very different than going to work and thinking I'm going to fail. So it's like there's instantly this spaciousness. Plus he had a teammate next to him reminding him that he could try things differently. So being out in the world is actually our lab. That's our playground. And nature is this great calming force because it allows us to come back to our true nature. And then the thinking that goes on in the mind, you and I both know this. You and I have been on plenty of runs where our mind was clear. You and I have been on plenty of runs where our mind wasn't clear. Didn't change what we did on the run. We still did the run. So lots of people have this association with when I'm playing, doesn't matter what's going on up here. Doesn't matter what's going on in my mind. But business is serious or family is serious or relationships are serious and we take them seriously and then we take all the thinking more seriously. It's not that the mind always turns off. It's that we stay focused on our mission. We went out to paddleboard. He had all this stuff came, come up. I was right there to question all of the thinking with him. We can be that for ourselves. And we stuck with the mission. So that's, you know, that's the, that's the gift of nature and physical activities. You start to get back in your body and you drop out of the head. It's not that the physical activity is doing it for you, but it's like you're giving yourself permission to not figure your entire life out. Yeah. And I love the the concept of coaching through movement and conversations, the walk and talk sort of uh, concept of being able to, and you and I have done this many times over the years where you, we and I would meet up and we'll go for 
a, a long walk or hike or chat. And it, it's one of those magical things that happen. And from a physiological perspective, it shouldn't make a difference whether you and I are on treadmills next to each other, getting our physical activity in and walking and talking. And, you know, so yeah, it's the same walk, but we all know that it's much more powerful if you and I can meet at a trailhead and go up, whether it's Sinitas or one of our other wonderful trails that you have access to there in Boulder, there's a powerfulness that is that magical combination of physical exertion, activity, fresh air, nature around us, getting out of our head and that constant you know cycle of stuff that's going on. Talk a little bit about that in terms of a, a strategy that you can use to really help open things up for people. Yeah, you know, it's where are we focused? If we're folk, if we're outside, we might be focused on the physical activity, but we're also, you know, we'll use you and I together, you and I on a hike, we're really focused on connecting to each other. On a treadmill, there can be this, I have to do, you know, it depends on where we're focused. You can have just as much fun on a treadmill side by side. The air's different, you know, the other factors are different, but you can be just as fully present and connected on treadmills side by side as outdoors. We can make stories that they're different. We can make stories that when I'm walking with John, I'm allowed to be fully present, but when I'm by myself, I have to be hypervigilant of all the things that are going on. Those are just things that go on in our personal thinking, attempting to keep us safe. So if I'm focused on being deeply connected and I'm out by myself, I can have this wide open, expansive, crazy creative experience. I can also do that on a treadmill and I've done it many times. I've spent a ton of time on the treadmill in my lifetime. And I've had plenty of runs where I didn't, you could have told me it was any day or any hour. And I was totally in love with it. And then I've had plenty of trail time where I've been caught in my head. It's almost like if you don't take the time to to quiet the chatter that's going on in your head, you may not have the opportunity to appreciate the beauty that's around you. Well, and I would shift this the way I love what you're saying, because that is the direction I'm pointing. This wisdom that you are is always true. This wisdom is who you are. Sometimes the chatter feels like it's in front. Sometimes the chatter takes a background. If we're believing it has a meaning, we start to manage the chatter. If we say, do I know this to be true? And question it and go, no, none of this is true. Get on with your life. Then we're free anywhere. And the trick in our world is we've, we've done this like, if I go on vacation, I just need a vacation. Actually, what we need is a vacation from our head where we actually drop back into our life. And then we can go on vacation and that's fun, but it's not geographical. It's not where we are location-wise. It's where we are within our own self. And that's why it doesn't matter treadmill or outdoors. Outdoors is amazing. Outdoors is a brilliant playground for so many of us, but we have the option to come in. And that's why it doesn't matter in a relationship, not in a relationship, you know, a intimate partnership. Because if you're with yourself, you have an intimate partnership. 
you have that grounding, you have that solid connection to your deepest truth. That's why relationships often do this thing. And I've been through it. I went through a divorce. You know, we, 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 we did our dance, we did our thing. And I was reaching outside of me, someone, you know, something to grasp to. And that's been a huge, huge, huge teaching. It's a huge humbling life lesson to go, wow, I create everything, heaven or hell inside of me. And it's a very powerful life lesson when we really, really drop into that because then all the freedom is inside of us. War is all created in humans. We can't, we can't fight another unless we're fighting within ourselves. Right. Any last things you'd like to mention that we haven't already talked about? I just want every listener to know they're capable of so much more than they've given themselves credit for. And that anything is possible. Any healing is possible. If there's a health issue. And to really walk away from this going, hmm, am I believing any of my thinking that's not serving my life such that I'm enjoying my life to the fullest? I love that. And let's use that as a platform for the final question, which is always... What advice would you have for someone wanting to make a difference in the health and well-being of their community? Take really good care of yourself. Listen to your wisdom and trust the creative expression that comes out from there. Beautiful. I love it. Suzanne, thank you so very much. It's been wonderful catching up with you. So wonderful, John. Thanks so much. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope you found this conversation with Suzanne inspiring and I encourage you to all check out her website at SuzanneMenji.com. And of course, I'll include this link as well as the link to her upcoming webinar in the show notes. And just a quick reminder, please don't hesitate to reach out. It's always a delight to hear from y'all. My email is john, that's J-O-H-N, at activetowns, that's plural, dot O-R-G. And as always, if you're enjoying the Active Towns podcast, please be sure to subscribe on the listening platform of your choice and help us grow our audience by telling a friend or two. Okay, that's all for this episode of the Active Towns podcast. Please take care of yourselves and one another. And until next time, this is John signing off by wishing you much activity, health, and happiness. Cheers. <laughs>